0: Right now, we will have the split sermon brought to us today by Reg Noland, entitled, Acclimated to Darkness. Is anybody out there? Anybody out there? How do I know? Because I can see you. I can see you. I can also hear you, but that's another story. Um... The human eye, the human eye-brain construct, to be more precise, is an amazing information system. Its irreducible complexity is itself a proof of God's creation as opposed to some sort of cumulative amalgam of evolutionary advances. For that, it it is an interdependent system, one that is worthless without the others. The brain would be of no use to us, the uh, the, uh, uh, the visual cortex, the optical lobes, would be of no value. If it did not have the eye, then the eye would be no value without the optical lobes. Thus, the eye-brain complex could never result from the slow, gradual accumulation of small changes over time. Rather, it has to come into existence all at once, or not at all. What takes place in this system is nothing short of miraculous. The eye receives light from objects external to the self. And then that light forms an image on the uh, back of the retina, complete with perspective. And then the retina and the optical nerve transmit that image to the brain or the optical uh, lobes, then translate it into something that the mind can understand. It becomes then a construct within the brain. That's amazing that a solid external object out here external to ourselves, can become a concept within the mind through this amazing system that God has created here for us. It gives meaning to it. It gives context. <coughs> it's, an act, it's simply a miracle of biology that reveals this marvelous epiphenomenological relationship between the body and the mind. The eye is also self-regulating in that the iris adjusts the pupil, had to allow in more or less light as is necessary so as not to overload the optic nerve or to burn the retina and the back of the eye. So it is very, very nice that it does that. In bright, bright light, like I'm experiencing right now, it can shrink down to the size of a pinhead. But in darkness can open as wide as the iris itself, in order to allow in as much possible as po- much light as possible, the maximum light. This self-adjusting property of the pupil iris complex is what allows us to adjust to darkness. Thus, when we are immersed in darkness, our eyes soon become acclimated to the darkness. At first, we see only a, blank sl- a black slate, but as our eyes adjust, the objects around us begin to become more visible, First, just as shadows, variations in shadow. Then later, as distinct object. Just without as much detail as we'd be able to discern in brighter light. Now, while we are quite aware that our physical eyes and their ability to adjust to darkness, are we also aware that we have, if you will, spiritual eyes that also adjust to the darkness around us? Okay. Jesus spoke to them saying in in John... uh, 8.12, Jesus said, said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have, have the light of life. When Christians have first opened their eyes to the, to the world, that is, sorry, when Christians have their eyes first opened to the light of the world, that is Christ, and they're then subjected to the wickedness around us and the spiritual darkness that's around us, all they can see is the darkness. There's darkness everywhere. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 62, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But Jehovah shall rise on you. His glory shall be seen upon you. However, after being immersed in the darkness for a while, we no longer see just darkness. But we begin to see objects distinct from the darkness so that the darkness, if you will, seems to have faded somewhat. And the longer we remain surrounded by darkness, the less dark it seems. Before long, we can see quite well in the dark as our spiritual eyes acclimate to it. Eventually, we no longer even see the darkness. Instead, we become oblivious, even blind to it. Jesus cautions in Matthew six verses twenty-two and twenty-three: "The light of the body is the eye. <coughs> Sorry. Therefore, if your eye is sound, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is evil, then the whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the, there is l- the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Notice that light can be darkness in this sense." As we move into the autumn and winter seasons, the light grows shorter and the darkness longer. Next week, much of this world will be blissfully, ignorantly celebrating the Feast of Samhain. It spells Samhain, but it's actually pronounced Samhain. The most reverend day of the eight high holy days on the satanic calendar. It's commonly known as Halloween. We recognize Halloween as a blasphemous mockery of the Day of Trumpets, and the Feast of Tabernacles, because instead of being resurrected to glorious bodies of spirit, they have become dead bodies, resurrected, undead zombies and vampires in putrefying bodies of decaying flesh, who have com- who have to commit murder, a sin, just to stay animate, just to stay animate. We know this. We've known it for years. We recognize the counterfeit. Once upon a time, we would have been outraged by what we see around us. But you know what? We're not as outraged anymore, are we? It's become so prevalent, so ubiquitous here that we've gotten used to it. We have acclimated to it. It's not unusual now even to see children in, dressed up in demon costumes, or witch, or wizards, or warlocks, or sorcerers, or vampires, zombies, walking into a church for the church-sponsored masquerade in lieu of trick-or-treating due to the dangers that our children face from going out and trick-or-treating and running the risk of being attacked. Does no one seemed to get the irony here that you have demons walking into a church and being well received by them, that no one seems to pick up on the irony there. I fear that we have been surrounded by the darkness for so long, with no power to stop its annual inevitability, that we have become acclimated to the darkness, complacent about this ubiquitous orange and black, about disturbed blind to these disturbing costumes, and accepting of horror movies. Slasher films, sorcery and wizardry, TV shows about vampires and the supernatural. Go to the video store right now. Vampire movies are the thing more than anything else right now. It covers all of the shelves. Murdersome or gruesome deaths have become so common that their reports in the evening news have lost their shock value. Got to do something really shocking now to get our attention. I fear that we have become anesthetized to the value of human life. I fear that we have become lukewarm in our, in our, to these offenses toward our Creator, acclimated to the darkness. And like that proverbial frog simming, swimming comfortably in that comfortable water, we don't even realize that the temperature of the water is slowly rising and will gradually cook us if we don't jump out. Jeremiah 13, 16. Give glory to Jehovah your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it into the shadow of death, setting up a deep gloom. However, the works of darkness around us are not limited to the gruesome murders and the violent forms. Instead, what is actually evil, is often fun. So that we take pleasure in watching it. Ironically, some forms of darkness can be very bright and alluring. Isn't that ironic? That darkness can be bright and alluring. Consider the range of activities that the the works of the darkness include. We're going to start here in Romans 1, 21 through 32. Romans 1, 21 to 32. Because, knowing God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their own imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals uh, animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between them. For they changed the truth of God to a lie and they worshipped and served the created thing more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to dishonorable affections. For even their women changed the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward the other, males with males, working out shamefulness and receiving in themselves the recompense that is fitting for their error. And even as they did not think fit to have God in their knowledge God then gave them over to a reprobate mind to do that things those things which are not right. Being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, evil habits, burning, uh, becoming whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, braggots, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, perfidious, which means treacherous, by the way, without natural affection, um, forgive, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous order of God, that those that practice such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but have pleasure in those who are practicing them. Think about what that means. If we enjoy murder mysteries or shows about infidelity or comedy with naughty bits and uh, innuendo, then we, myself included, are taking pleasure in those who commit such acts. But you know, I really don't see many Isaiahs out there warning the nations. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil but who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I don't hear many voices crying in the wilderness, railing against this pervasive evil that surrounds us. And even though Scripture asserts that the evil of these latter days rivals that of Lot and Noah, we have become largely oblivious to it. It has become so commonplace that we don't even see it anymore. We don't even see it anymore. Luke 17, verses 26 to 30. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and a flood came and destroyed them all. So also was it in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planned, they built, But the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So these are the latter days. And this this evil is supposed to rival that. The story of Lot provides a good biblical precedent for the situation that we are in, in today. Peter recognizes Lot as a righteous man. Vexed by his environment, turn to Second Peter 2, uh, verses 5 to 17. This is a long passage, but it's, it's very appropriate for here. <clears throat> and he did not spare the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth one, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them with an overthrow, setting an example to men intending to live ungodly. And he delivered righteous lot, oppressed with the lustful behavior of lawlessness. For that righteousness for that righteous one lived among them in seeing and hearing. His righteous soul was tormented from day to day by with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust for a day of judgment to be punished. And especially those who walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise dominion. They are darers, self-pleasing, not trembling at glory, speaking evil. Where angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reproaching accusation against them before the Lord. But these... As unreasoning natural brute animals, having been born for capture and corruption, speak evil of things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. Being about to receive the wages of unrighteousness, deeming indulgence as pleasure in the daytime, and reveling in spots and blemishes, feasting along with you in their decides and their deceits, um, having eyes full of adultery and never ceasing from sin, alluring unstable souls, having a heart exercised with covetousness, they are cursed children, who having forsaken the right way, have gone astray, uh, following the way of Balaam and the son of Beor, who love the wages of unrighteousness, and he had, but he had a reproof of his law breaking, a dumbass speaking in a man's voice. That held back the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds driven with a tempest, for whom the blackness of blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Yet consider Lot, how warped he had become, even without realizing it. Lot was Abraham's nephew, and he traveled with that great man of God under his tutelage to seek his fortune, and bringing with him his workers and his family, Let's Pick up the story in Genesis thirteen, uh, eleven to seven. This is a really interesting story about Lot. The thing, if you realize what's going on with this man, if he's special, since Scripture calls him righteous. Uh, Genesis thirteen seven. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's uh, cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Peazerite lived then in the land. And Abram said to Lot, uh, let there be no strife, I pray you, between you and me, um, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are men, brothers. Is not the whole land before you? I pray you, separate yourself from me. If you go to the left, left, I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the circuit of Jordan. And it was well it watered before Jehovah destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of Jehovah, like the land of Egypt as you come to Zoar. And Lot chose all the circuit of Jordan for himself and journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. That Lot shows the cities of the plain may say something about his character, but it does not automatically make him into a reprobate just simply because he prefers the city life to that of the country. He's just a little bit more urbane. Now when we next see Lot, we find him seated in the gates of Sodom, being approached by two angels sent to destroy Sodom. In ancient times the gates of the city were places of commerce and politics, where the merchants would set up their booths and hawk their wares and where politicians are politically inclined would have a ready audience to hear their reviews on the top topics of the day. That we find Lot sitting here in the city gates strongly indicates that he has been accepted by the citizens of Solomon. He had been accepted by them. He had become a successful businessman. Wouldn't it bother you to be surrounded by this all day long? Pick up the story in Genesis 19, starting at verse 1 all the way through 25. And there came two angels to Sodom at evening, and Lot was sat in the gate of Sodom. Lot rose up to meet them when he saw them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground and said, Behold now, my Lord, please turn into your servant's house and stay all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go your way. And they said, "No, we will stay in the street." but he urgently pressed uh, pressed on them, and they turned into him and entered into his house and he made them a feast and break, baked unleavened bread and they ate There's no real significance to the unleavened bread here as some kind of spiritual food or the like. It's just that this was a hasty meal put together. it didn't have time to let the bread rise, so this is simply uh, a quick bread that they made here, so don't read into it more than there is. Uh, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both old and young, both old and young, um, and all the people from every quarter. And they called out to Lot, and they said to him, uh, where are the men that you, uh, they wouldn't say it like that, where are the men that you came in, that came in with you last night? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. And Lot went out to the door and then shut the door after him. And he he said, I pray you, brothers, do not act evilly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known any man. You know, I can actually believe that, that they hadn't known any man. I pray you, let me bring them out to you. and, And you do to them as you see fit. What kind of mindset has he gotten into? That he's willing to give up his daughters to these men? Of course, there are rules of hospitality, but that's taking it a bit far, don't you think? But do, not, do nothing to these men, for this is why they came under my roof. And they said, stand back. And, and they said, this one came in to stay, and he must he judge always? Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed upon, uh, hard upon the man and locked and came near to breaking down the door. And the men put out their hands and brought Lot into the house. With That's the, the, the angels, the angelic being. And the men put out their hands and brought Lot into the house and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness. How appropriate. Most, both small and great. So that they wearied themselves to find even the door. And the men said to Lot, Have you... Um, the, the angelic men. The men said to Lot, Have you anyone here besides yourself... Bring your son-in-laws and your sons and your daughters and whatever you have in the city. Bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because, it, uh, because great is the cry of them before the face of Jehovah. And Jehovah has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-law who married his daughters and said, Get up and get out of this place. For Jehovah, it's interesting. The sons-in-law had married his daughters, but his daughters had never known a man. Um. Okay. we will destroy this place and great is the city cry of them before Jehovah and Jehovah sent us to destroy it Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-law who married his daughters and said get up and get out of this place for Jehovah will destroy the city but he seemed as one that was mocked to his son in law instead and when, he, when the dawn rose up and the angels hurried Lot saying rise up Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And he lingered, and the angel laid hand and the angel laid hands upon him, and took uh, upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, Jehovah being merciful to him, and they brought him forth and set him outside the city. And it happened, when they had brought him outside, he said, Escape for your life, do not look behind you. And do not are nor stay in all the plain. Escape to the mountain lest you be consumed. And Lot said to them, Oh no, Lord, please, no, please now. Your servant has found grace in your sight. You have magnified your mercy, which you have shown to me by saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil overtake me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee to. And it's a little one. It hasn't grown big and corrupt yet. Okay, it's a little one. Oh, let me escape there. It is not, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have accepted you concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry and escape there, for I cannot do anything until you have come here, come there, for the uh, the for the name of the city is called Zoar. And the sun had risen on the earth, and Lot entered Zoar. And, the, and Jehovah rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah fire, uh, brimstone and fire from Jehovah out of the heavens. And he overthrew the cities and all of the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Pretty devastating, right? What does this story tell us about the character of Lot? Scripture calls him righteous. Scripture calls him righteous. But clearly some of his behavior is questionable at best. And it's, I believe, the result of his distorted vision of him being surrounded by this darkness so long that he has become acclimated to it so long that he did not even see the evil anymore that was around him. So what can we do to combat the evil that surrounds us? Well, the obvious is, the obvious solution should be coming out of the dark. Coming out of the dark, right? But that's easier said than done. For if we are already acclimated to the darkness, we don't even realize that it is dark. My eyes are extremely light sensitive. Even these lights are bothering me a bit here. My eyes are extremely light sensitive so that I can see quite well with my glasses on, uh, it went only a little bit of light. I don't know how many times I have driven several miles at night, not even realizing that my headlights weren't on, because I could see very, quite well with just the streetlights. However, as soon as I realize that I'm driving dark, then I turn on the headlights because other people don't see as well as I do. <laughs> I don't want them to hit, hit me. Okay? In fact, my inspiration for this message was the realization that I had become oblivious to certain things that were going on in my classroom until another teacher pointed it out for me. I didn't even see it. Things going on and I didn't even see it at all. It's similar to the problems that my students face when I give them identification problems. I'll show them an angle pair in isolation and they can generally identify the relationship between the angle pairs without no problem. However, I take that same angle pair and stick it in the middle of a more complex diagram and suddenly it seems to disappear as if it's not even there. Suddenly the angle pair disappears into the context and they become blind to the relationship that exists. So what can we do? Well, here are a few rules to follow. I can't I don't have a full solution, but here's a few rules to follow. So you won't be completely in the dark. Regularly, force yourself to go where you know that there is light. Sabbath services, Bible study, music practice, for example. Those are places that you know there are light. Fellowship with people who you know are standing in the light. Because if they're in the light, then you will be too. Okay. Conversely, avoid the people you know are standing in the darkness. Other of you don't, so are you. Ask someone you trust to help you find the light switch. Pay your utility bill. <laughs> Test your eyes regularly with eye exams. That includes reading a page of letters. The Bible comes to mind. Or heed the advice of Proverbs. Proverbs 2, 10 through 15. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasing to your soul, judgment shall keep you, understanding shall keep you, to deliver you from the way of the evil man, from the man who speaks wicked things, and those who leave the paths of unrighteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the perverseness of wicked, those ways that are crooked and are devious in their paths."